Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I am Dave Carger. I am the host of a show called Frontrunners that airs on Fandango and Access Hollywood. And if you were to ask me what my favorite movie of 2014 is, and in fact I put this on my Twitter, the answer is wild. I am absolutely crazy about this film. Uh, so it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you a past Screen Actors Guild Award winner and a current Best Actress SAG Award nominee for Wild, Reese Witherspoon. How are you? Wow. What a nice turnout. This is so exciting. I'm so touched. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, the way that these Q&As work, these are a little bit different because we're not just going to talk about Wild. We're going to go through your entire career. So sit back. Oh, boy. And we're going we're gonna to do a little memory lane. Oh, Lord. And what's great about you is that you started out as a child actor. In the 1700s. <laughs> Before I start asking you about Man on the Moon, which was your first film, I'd like to know how performing as a concept even entered your consciousness. Oh, I, you know, I always, I always struggled to figure that out because I know I wanted to be an actor since the time I was about seven years old, and it didn't make any sense because I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my dad was a doctor and my mom was a nurse. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just, I, I ended up telling my mom I really wanted to be an actress and. Um, my neighbor was had a flower shop and they did a commercial down the street and then they asked me to be in it and that was it. I was like, <laughs> I've got to do this. And as a little kid, from the time I was seven years old, every Saturday I would go for four hours of acting class every Saturday. Whoa. And I loved it. I just loved it. To the point where all the kids graduated and went on to this other stuff and I started doing adult acting classes and mm. then I was in the commercial classes and then I loved um, like the hair and makeup classes <laughs> and just everything. I just couldn't get enough. So let's go back to the flower commercial. Yeah. What did you do in it? Um, well, I remember it was really super short so they had to put me on three phone books. <laughs> <laughs> remember when there were phone books? Um, <laughs> And um, I don't know, I just had to be super happy about flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, Man on the Moon, you find out that there's an open casting call. Yeah. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're going in thinking you might have a shot at like a bit part. Right. Um, I've been doing local commercials in Nashville, like for radio stations and air conditioners and stuff like that. And, <laughs> um, and, acting competitions and things like in Atlanta and New York. And then uh, they, there was an ad in the paper um, in Nashville and said, do you want to be in a movie? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I thought it was just going to be to be an extra. And I just went down to this like 
blind audition and they were all grown-ups and then me at the very end my dad dropped me off he stood in line I think I was I was 14 right and I ended up standing in line for a couple hours and I finally got in there and they said who dropped you off I was like my dad dropped me off he's gonna come back and pick me up huh. and she said well can you can you act I said yes I can <laughs> <laughs> she said well can you read these lines I said okay and I remember I remember the casting director her name was Sherry Rhodes wow. and um she, and then I didn't hear anything. And about a month later, I, they called me out to LA to do a screen test, and with Robert Mulligan, who directed *To Kill a Mockingbird*, mm-hmm. which was unbelievable. And um, and I got the lead of the movie after my screen test, which was crazy. So when did you start kind of having the fantasy that you could actually get this part? Was it before you got the callback, or not until the moment you heard you had that callback? Um, you know, I think. I learned to mitigate my expectations. So even like doing the commercials actually helped because I understood that there's a lot of rejection, you know, and I started understanding that from the time I was about 12 and I was determined anyway. Like that to me is what an actor is. Like you you get the day where you're like, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Or that might be the definition of crazy. (laughs) Which is kind of the same thing. Um, But no, and then I don't know. I don't, I didn't hear from them for two months and then out of nowhere they called and I remember walking in from softball practice and picked up the phone and they were like, you got the part. Wow. Which was crazy. And then I had to go to Louisiana for the whole summer. Um, Which is where you were born. Yeah, I'm from New Orleans. Yeah. Great job. (laughs) Yay. One of the things that people love about Man the Moon, love about your performance, is the innocence, the first kiss, the young love. Had you experienced that already and you drew from that, or was this just completely invented for this character? Um, let me think. I know, I know, I think it was probably, I, like, you know, I was still young. I was 14, so I hadn't ever really had a boyfriend. Right. I think I'd kissed a guy once. Right. So, but I thought I was very experienced. <laughs> I brought a lot of sense memory to the table. <laughs> um, but, no, and I remember the 17-year-old boy was so horrified that he had to kiss me, and it was just terrible. Oh, no. Jason London? Jason London, yeah. Right. But it was great. We all were young together. And and Sam Waterston was in the movie, too. Yeah. So that must have been pretty cool. He was so great. And this was, like, before Law & Order, and he was just this incredible theater actor, and he just was really helpful to me and we had like almost a month of rehearsals um, with amazing Robert Mulligan, the director from To Kill a Mockingbird and you know, Summer of 42 and Mm. just incredible that he helped nurture us and he gave me so much advice that I still use to this day. Like I was so nervous in a scene and he made me chew gum and when I started chewing gum, I just relaxed, Mm. you know, and I was like, and I still use it sometimes if I'm nervous, I'll, I'll chew gum or eat something in a scene and actually kind of makes you concentrate on something else. I like that. And you've kind of come full circle because then you just recently did Inherent Vice with Sam Watterson's daughter, yeah. Catherine, which is crazy. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. She was like, I met you on the set and you were 14 and I was 12. Oh my God. It was so crazy, yeah. When's the last time you watched Man the Moon? Um, I showed it to my kids like uh, probably three years ago. What did they think? They, I mean, they loved it, but it's. I think it's all surreal for them. It's just bizarre to see your mom doing. I mean, my daughter watched Wild the other day, and it's just intense. You know, yeah. I think it's hard to say that's my mom and that's a character. Is it? You know, 
And your older kids, what's their age in relation to being 14 and man the moon? (laughs) My daughter's 15 and a half. Oh my God. So it's like Um, right there. So yeah. So I, and, and sometimes I look at her and I think, I was a professional actor standing on sets when I was younger than that. <laughs> and like, she can barely remember her backpack. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, expected to show up and be on time and know all my lines. And, um, and it, it, yeah, it's a little weird. I was a little, I don't know what drove me, but I was driven. I love it. Yeah. So you did some TV films around the same time as Man the Moon. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I'm interested in the fact that you, Applied to Stanford University. Yes. Got in. Mm-hmm. Went for a full year. Yeah. But then decided that there were other opportunities that you were wanting to pursue. Was that something like the movie Fear, or was mm-hmm. it Freeway? I mean, what what were the projects yeah. that you said I got to get out of here? Well, yeah, my parents insisted that I go to college, so I applied to Stanford. I couldn't believe I got in because I didn't get in anywhere else. <laughs> but I got to Stanford, and I met the woman who read my essay, and she was like, I read your essay. I let you. I was like, thank you, because <laughs> I had no other option. Um, but I stopped out. I mean, it was really expensive, and I was making more money making movies than to pay my tuition, and I was either going to accumulate all these student loans and bills and or start a career that I knew I loved. Um, and I wasn't sure, you know, the first year I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go into pre-med or something. But then I, mm. I auditioned for a movie with, um, that Robert Benton directed, who directed Kramer versus Kramer. And, um, it was a movie with Paul Newman. Twilight. Yeah, it was called Twilight. Right. Which is, you know, now Twilight is something else. But, um, and, and Gene Hackman and, and Susan I, Sarandon. Yeah, Gene Hackman and Susan Sarandon were my parents. And it was like a three scene role, but, it was such a huge opportunity and it really got momentum going for me in the business because Robert Benton helped. He called Gary Ross and then he put me in Pleasantville and then Gary Ross called Alexander Payne and they put me in oh. election. So right. it was like kind of momentum. Twilight was pretty racy though, as I recall. Your stuff, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, there was nudity and I was kind of like this ballsy girl and I was so scared. Um, <laughs> I was so scared and and... But I thought, you know, I really liked how he dealt with nudity in Kramer versus Kramer. It wasn't this salacious thing. It was actually like a way to confront, um, you know, it was a way I was confronting Paul Newman and mm. in the movie and I was being very sort of loud and brash. And then it was so funny. I went to the premiere and I'm sitting there and I'm like so nervous and because he, he, he kept coming to the scene and I'm naked and he comes in and he sees me and, and I go, oh. And then I was supposed to have all this other scene, <laughs> and they cut my scene. Oh. So it's just all me, just naked. Oh. <laughs> and that was like a really good lesson for me. So I didn't, I hadn't do, I didn't do nudity for the whole, like, until Wild. Right, wow. Where I was in control. <laughs> and I knew I could get rid of it if I wanted to. Wow, that's interesting. And I know I could use it the way I wanted it to be used mm. instead of other people deciding how they were going to show me or my body. Mm. So. We mentioned Freeway. Let's talk about that one because from what I understand, that was one that was a hurdle for you. That's the one that's kind of the dark, twisted take on Little Red Riding Hood with Brooke Shields and Kiefer Sutherland and you were just like so brash. And that one frightened you a little bit, didn't it? But I felt like when you did that, you you felt you had accomplished something pretty cool. Yeah. And that was Freeway. Doing Freeway was really cool for me because that's when I learned what comedy was because I, I didn't think it was funny at all. I was just playing a very serious Texas girl who mm. is in the penal system and she's sort of a jail baby and she's in and out. And I just played it really straight. And we went to Sundance, the movie premiered at Sundance and people were like, 
laughing so hard right. and like hugging themselves, laughing at this, you know, at this character with really strong convictions and a really strong accent. And I thought I was doing high drama. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what comedy is. Like com- comedy is just committing. It's wow. committing like to an extreme, you know. And it's I, not yuck yuck. It's no. It's, it's actually just never laughing at your own jokes. Like, like being that. so committed to who that person is, where they're from, their comedy, and and never ever ever laughing at that person, mm. taking it as seriously as they take themselves. So that was a huge learning experience for yeah. me. And what about fear? Because fear is the great one with Mark Wahlberg, where you guys go out and he becomes mm-hmm. obsessed and super jealous. And I feel like that was. A turning point for him. I think that was an experience where a lot of people started looking at him. I guess he had done basketball diaries, but people started looking at him as an actual actor from that one. What was your experience like working with him? Right. Well, I know Mark had just, he had, was kind of coming off the Calvin Klein campaign and trying to be taken seriously in Hollywood. And Jamie Foley, the director, gave him a really great shot to be the lead of a movie. So it was the first time he was a lead of a movie. Mm. Um, but it was great. It was, you know, that was my only experience that I had doing like kind of a thriller or a genre a movie um, and to be totally honest as a woman there's not a lot for you to do in those movies except so be a, scared ah. right. and I was like this is not my skill set is not really this <laughs> right, right. I'm, not, I'm not that person who's frightening I just it's not what I do well so I, it was that was a learning experience I loved doing the movie with them um, I just didn't I felt sort of like I don't know a little like what am I doing here but probably for the exposure, I mean, I that was 96, so I was 23 years old at the time, and that was like, you had fear was coming out, you had to see that movie. It was like <laughs> Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg, you had to see it on the roller coaster and everything, right? The roller coaster, yeah. yeah. So I guess it served its, it served it's roller, its purpose. There's a famous roller coaster scene if you haven't seen it. <laughs> it's, it's a really sexy song. It's a good scene. Um, going forward a couple of years. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Pleasantville. Yes. Because that's, you talk about, you mentioned Gary Ross. Um, that film was so great. And for people who don't remember, it's got that great mix of the black and white and the color sequences. And it's Reese and Tobey Maguire, Joan Allen, yeah. Jeff Daniels, I think. Yeah. Bill Macy. I mean, yeah, the Bill dream Macy. cast. That must have been interesting. And it, I'm sure it provided some. Paul Walker. Was Paul Walker. Right. This is his first movie, I think. Yeah. yeah. And some technical challenges, I'm sure, as well, with all of the black and, the white. Black and white to color. What was that like? Um, yeah, that was really cool. I, I auditioned really hard to get that movie, um, and it was hard. I think I auditioned like seven or eight times um, with Toby, without Toby, <laughs> and Toby and I, you know, really bonded over that experience. Um, but th- yeah, there were technical aspects of um, you know color correcting the black and white. Now I'm sure it's so easy, but you know the movie slowly turns to color as they become more self aware. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was beautiful costumes, and that was sort of my first experience of being on a big set with constructed sets out in Malibu Canyon. Mm. They built an entire city. I was like, oh my god, this is like a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know anybody had that kind of money to make a movie. Wow. And then the next year was Cruel Intentions, yeah, which was I mean everybody was talking about that film, you know, with the update of Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. And such an amazing cast on that one yeah. as well, right? Well, yeah, I was, um, the time I was living with my boyfriend, Ryan um, Philippi, and he was doing it with Sharon Michelle Geller, and they couldn't find the third lead. And oh I was like, well, 
I don't know who you guys are going to get. And he was like, <laughs> and he and the director <laughs> took me out to dinner. And I was like, what, what do you, what do you want? And they, and they just, they said, we want you to do the part. And I really did not want to do that part. I just didn't. Why? I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I didn't see myself as that character either. She was written very sort of like like a limp noodle. And right. I was like, this is not fun. And so I said, well, I'll think about it, but we got to go, we got to make her, you know, have some sort of ferocity of spirit or some sort of something. She's a little, a spine, you know? And so we rewrote the character to be more of a, a feminist and, um, and it turned out really cool. Yeah. It was really fun making that movie. Yeah. And that was, that got a lot of attention, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. We big... made that for like no money. Right. Yeah. The same year, 99, brought Election, yeah. which was, it was just one of the classic roles in films of your career. What was your first reaction when you read Tracy Flick and saw what she was going to be doing? Uh, she was like, I have to do this part. <laughs> I have to do this part. And I remember going in, I read the script, and I just thought it was amazing. And then my boyfriend at the time, Ryan, said, have you seen Citizen Ruth? And I hadn't seen Citizen Ruth. So we were at Sundance, and he had seen it. And starring Laura Dern. Starring Laura Dern, and it was it was called Meet Ruth Stoops, and then they then it was Alexander Payne's first full length feature, mm-hmm. and I saw it. And y'all, if you haven't seen that movie, it is so good. She and it's it's classic Alexander Payne, where it's middle of America. They're dealing with both sides of abortion, pro rights, and pro choice, and mm-hmm. you know, and all that stuff. And then. Um, it's it's just great and I was blown away and then I so I went in to meet with him and I just looked at him and he said hello he always wears a suit on Tuesdays mm. I don't know why. <laughs> I know I, what day it was because he was wearing a suit wow. and he said hello and I said I just want to let you know I'm the right person for this part you can cast somebody else but you'll be wrong oh and, that's so Tracy Flick and I I don't even know why I did it I was just like so in the character <laughs> And about a week later, I got the call and I got the part. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I feel like a lot of the times people audition, and I know this is a reflector, so it's important for, I say this to actors all the time, people just want to be told what to do. Mm. You know, sometimes they have so many decisions to make, they just want the decisions to be taken away from them and just to go, give me the ball, I'm not going to disappoint you, I promise, and I'm going to work to the best of my ability, and I'm going to work hard for you, you know? And sometimes that just... It's such a relief to somebody who has to answer 200 million questions a day. You're there to make their life easier. Yeah, I was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got it. Wow. (laughs) So when you're filming a movie like Election, do do you just feel like things are clicking and this is going to be a big deal? Yeah, you know, sometimes you just read something and it just gets in you. And I don't know where I came up with her voice or her accent. I started spending a lot of time in Omaha where we shot the movie. And then then I started having an Omaha accent like that. Mm -hmm. And... And then there was a funny kind of walk she did. And <laughs> Alexander and I kind of, I don't know, I just went in and I said, I think she kind of walks like this. And he was like, great, let's do it. <laughs> um, and then he kind of, he likes to talk in analogies of a lot of like, this is like Lady Macbeth and she's washing her hands. After she tears on the post, she's like, she's washing her hands like out damn spot. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, and then I want you to cover your mouth against the wall and act like you're Janet Lee and Psycho. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> But it all 
comes through in the yeah. movie. I mean, and literally, he's like, I want you. And the, I remember one scene where we were, um, <laughs> I find out that I won, my character won the election, but I, I, I basically rigged it or something, and I can't remember. But <laughs> and then I'm supposed to celebrate, and he said, you know, she celebrates by hugging herself. And I was like, so we stood there, and I'm alone in the hallway, and I'm hugging myself, and he's like, that's not right. And he's like, I want you to jump up and down. So I started jumping him down. He's like, no, no, put your feet together and act like you're a pole and jump up and down like a pogo stick. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what it ended up being. And he was so, he was just great with physicality and using animal metaphors. And he's like, you're a panther walking down. He was was one of my favorite directors because he's so fun. Yeah. Did he ever throw you a movie reference and you had no idea what he was talking about? Oh, all the time. He's he's such a cinephile and like part of, he did the rear view projection with Matthew Broderick and it was all about Italian cinema and Marcello Marciani and I was like, "Mm -hmm, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'd have to go home at night and like Google everything he said. That's so good. And now for people that don't know, 16 years later, you're gonna work with him again? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Maybe it's funny they put that out. Yeah, he asked me to do his his next movie, which is really cool. It's a very cool movie and downsizing. Yeah, downsizing um, with Matt Damon, but Matt Damon's not available this year, so oh. hopefully next year. Okay, he's a busy guy. I'm still excited for it. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody else has something for me to do for him <laughs> this year. Oh my god. So now I want to fast forward a year to 2000 where you did something very high profile in your career that was not a movie. It was a TV show, Friends. Oh, Friends. Two episodes as Jen Aniston's sister. sister. How did that come about? Thank you. Um, Well, I had had a baby and I was sitting at home on the couch for probably two to three months trying to figure out what to do with this baby because I was 22 years old or something and I had a baby and I didn't know what to do with her. Um, (laughs) So I just obsessively watched Friends. And I I thought they became my friends and I belonged there. And I called my (laughs) agent and I said, I want to be there. I want to be- In Central Park. At Central Park. These people know me and I know them. And he was like, okay, well. And then I guess something came up and they wrote, they had written me a part and I went and did it. And it was, it was hard. It was actually really hard for me. Why? Because I'd never done television and I'd never done half hour sitcom, which is a whole other muscle. It's a whole other skill set that I have so much respect for those six actors that they did that every single week, made it fresh, made it funny. They, they just really honed the, the parts of themselves that were super appealing. And I was just flailing out there the whole time. I, I didn't know if things were funny. And, mm. um, I mean, just Jenna Aniston was great and David Schwimmer was great. Those are the main two people I had to work with. Mm. But I remember getting off and I was like, I'm never, ever, ever doing this again. <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> it was really hard. They asked me to come back and I was like, I'm too scared. It was too hard. Has it been fun for you this season? Because at all of these shows, the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice and now SAG, you're nominated and so is Jen. Jen, yeah. So yes. you guys are sure running into each other all the time. It's been so great. You know, because as actors, we're not, you know, we, it's just like, you know, you're thrown onto a set and you have to immediately make a family. You know, every situation. It's a collaborative medium. Anybody thinks they're working by themselves is crazy. Mm. You need that whole group of people to survive and, and to create something really great. So it's so weird to get to award season and it's like, 
will individuals and the media will kind of pit people against each other. Nobody feels any of that. Everybody's just like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to hang out with these people. <laughs> and um, because we're so used to making a little family. So it's almost like you make little families during war season right, too. Like <laughs> you know, Julianne, Warren, Ju- uh, Laura Dern and I went to dinner the other night and been hanging out with Felicity Joe. And like, this is just great, incredible people that you are so in awe of. And usually as women, we don't get to work with other women. So it's really fun to spend time with them. I like that. You've said that after election, you, even though that movie did so well and got so much acclaim, you got a Golden Globe nomination for it. You've said that it was hard for you after that to get roles that you were happy with, that maybe people identified you so much with Tracy Flick that it hindered you. Yeah. What's up with that? I mean, I I had one studio, the, the studio had hated me so much in that movie, he wouldn't see me for any of the movies. So like... There were out of eight studios I had, I probably had two studios who were like, they thought I was Tracy Flick. <laughs> they thought, they were like, no, she's unappealing, she's unattractive, I don't like that girl. And it's called um, acting. I know, but right? they wouldn't even see me for a general meeting. So I had to like, that's when I kind of started to rethink what I needed to do next in order to change people's opinion. Because I got that over and it was really hard for me to get jobs after that. Hmm. Well, then along comes. Legally Blonde. Right. (laughs) And I'm intrigued by what I've read was your first impression of Elle Woods, that some people might not like her, that you weren't sure if you liked her when you first read her. Right. Well, when I first read it, it, um, I was nervous that it was sort of all fluff and no heart. And we had to kind of go back in. And I was just nervous that the whole movie could be confection and considered just sort of this movie about a bimbo, you mm-hmm. know? And that's not, to me, what I wanted it to be. And and I really went back and forth. And then when I finally decided to do the movie and committed to it, we went back in with the screenwriters who were great and just wrote sort of a more thoughtful character arc about this woman who's never been taken seriously in her life and completely underestimated like no one ever mm. even her parents ex- th- think she's a bimbo and an idiot and then she gets to college or her, her boyfriend thinks she's an idiot and then she gets to Harvard and her their whole class thinks she's an idiot and um and then I was like I just had so much compassion for her mm. and at this when I was trying to decide to do the movie too I was watching Bravo and there was a Gloria Steinem was on talking about Private Benjamin mm. and how important that that was for women that message that you can um, that you can be feminine but also be a feminist you know that you don't have to that you can like to get your nails done your hair done but still believe that you know women can accomplish anything mm. and how important that was and i thought it just i somehow connected the dots and i was like that's that's who l is she's a modern feminist i like that was it hard to get the tone right on that because i mean it it is a movie that's silly but it does have such heart and it's so surprising in a lot of ways was that something that you and was it robert lucetta who yeah that, no he was guys- great because he brings a lot of fun to the character and the world and creates sort of colorful world. He's a very um, imaginative, creative guy. And then uh, Mark Platt, who produced it, who also did Into the Woods and Rachel Getting Married, he's an incredible producer. He and I kind of really worked on grounding the character in, and it really just takes a few scenes. You set it up a little bit in the beginning, and then you know you have to find that moment that I always call it the key to the character, which is that one scene that that tells you that kind of breaks your heart. It's like, oh, wait, I've 
I never really saw that person until then. Huh? Do you recall what that scene is in Legally Blonde? Yeah, she's in the. <laughs> yeah, she's in the.、Um, she's in the nail salon and she's talking to、um, Paulette. Jennifer Coolidge,、uh-huh. and she says, "No one ever expected anything of me. My my parents always wanted me to be a Victoria's Secret model, and I always, I knew I could be more. I just, if somebody believed in me, like, and then she's like, and then I realized I have to believe in myself or something, something like that. I like that. Well, then you were on a roll there because the year after Legally Blonde was Sweet Home Alabama, yeah, which is a, a character Melanie that a, apparently was someone that you really saw yourself in in a way and and related to, from what I understand. Yeah."、Um, That was a cool part because I knew there were a bunch of girls that had already passed on it, read it, and passed it. And it was one of those scripts that was laying around, and they sent it to me right after Legally Blonde. I was like, "This, this is me." I, you know, this person that's gone away and thinks they have this great life, but really, you know, the second you go home, everybody's like, "What?" I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. The first time I took my husband, my my husband back to Nashville. I took him to lunch at this place, and literally outside there was a Civil War reenactment.、Mm. And the people standing on, he's like, "Is this a joke?" <laughs> I said, "No, this actually. I grew up like we would have to go to Civil War reenactments, and my dad dressed in the memorabilia, and it was it was actually so it felt really close to home for me." <laughs> I remember seeing that film, and I remember going to the premiere of that film and talking to you. This was thirteen、uh, years ago, and I was like. I like the movie, but God, I would have chosen Patrick Dempsey. Like, and and it was right when Gray, I think he started on Grey's Anatomy, like right after that or something. So、yeah. you guys were very well. Disney had made our film, and then Disney produces、um, or is ABC Disney.、Right. So they loved him in that that movie so much that they, I think, chose him to be the lead of Grey's, which he's amazing and he's. So smart and so handsome. I know it was a tough choice、uh, a tough between choice. those two guys. I, I think that's why the movie worked. Nothing wrong with Josh Lucas, by the way. Yeah, he's great.、Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the movie Vanity Fair, and I remember interviewing you for that one as well. And I just love that one for you because you got to work with Mira Nair, who I just think is fabulous. She's cool. And that was an interesting shoot for you because you were pregnant during that. But it, I think you felt like it. Worked for the character because it added like a sumptuousness to it. Added something. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pregnant three times. Every single time I've said, "I am not working during this pregnancy. I am not going to work. <laughs> I'm just I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to lay around. I'm going to put my feet up." And every single time I've made a movie. I did American Psycho when I was pregnant with Ava. Okay. I did Vanity Fair when I was pregnant with Deacon, and then I did a movie called Devil's Knot when I was pregnant with Tennessee. Oh my god! And all of them were hard, and, <laughs> and about kind of harder subject matter too. Yeah. So.、Um, That was asking for trouble. Yeah, but the Vanity the Vanity Fair was, I mean, amazing. You know, to do one of those beautiful costume movies where. Three hours of wigs and、mm. an hour of corsets, and they had built a corset for me that had a hole in it for my pregnancy.、Oh, no. <laughs> and I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Mira and I was like, "Oh my god, what are we gonna do?" So I started carrying rugs in front of it, like a basket like this. <laughs> Got ridiculous. And one of my favorite, like behind the scenes photos I've ever had was me. Because when you know when you're pregnant, you're just so tired, and they bought me a lawn chair, like a total ghetto lawn chair. <laughs> and there I am in full like 18th century clothing with my wig, like fully like asleep in the lawn chair <laughs> between scenes. Oh, that's great! It's so funny to me. 
Uh, the following year, 2005, what movie am I about to talk about? I don't know. Walk the Line. Okay. <laughs> so great. The SAG Award win, the Oscar win. I mean, that must have been a whole dream come true. But to go back, my understanding is that you were terrified at the idea of singing live. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we started rehearsing. We rehearsed for seven months before we ever shot um, anything with wow. T-Bone Burnett, who coached us basically how to be country music singers. And Joaquin, I've never seen an actor so dedicated to performance. He he worked all day, all night. He had a, a, a band. Every day we'd go shoot all day, and then he'd go play all night long. Really? And I don't think... I even met Joaquin until like a year later. Wow. <laughs> he was gone. He was Johnny. We had to call him JR during the shooting. And mm. um, and even when we were rehearsing for seven months, he was JR. He wasn't Joaquin. He was, it was just, an, it was an intense process. And we, he had to play guitar. I had to play auto harp. Mm. Um, you know, learning instruments, doing the recordings, which is so terrifying. I called my lawyer a bunch of times and I was like, get me out of this movie. He's like, are you being serious? I was like, get me out of this movie. I can't do it. It's going to be a joke. It's going to be like when they record people and they play it back and they all make fun of them. Oh. And he... Did he try to get you out? He tried to get me out, but he called me back. He's like, you can't get out. It's done. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So when, so when your lawyer calls whoever, the yeah. studio, the producers, whatever, do they start... Does the producer then come to you and like... What's what's going on? Are you okay? Did this cause a drama, or was it? Did it stay behind the scenes? No, I mean I don't know if they like really didn't call and kind of pretended <laughs> that they called and then told me I had to do it anyway, which yeah. is probably what they have been doing for about you know twenty years. Because <laughs> I it's, it's it's before every movie I get in a panic, but this was a heightened heightened right, right. panic. They, we had like a bucket off stage that we literally had to throw up. All of us we were so scared because we go in to do these these performance scenes in front of six hundred people. And we're not singers. Mm, mm. It was terrifying. You know those people you read actors, you read, you know, profiles, and you're like, they're singing the whole time, right, like right. show tunes. And you're like, that's not us. That right, was not right. Joaquin and I. We were like, oh, my God, this is awful. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so, wait, so how did you get to a point where you felt like, okay, I'm ready to do this? Or did you never really feel ready? I never felt good about it. Wow. I never felt... I never felt... Well, I always felt better when Joaquin was there. And I think you see that in our performances because we were so connected. Like when he, he was like my security blanket and I was his. And when we were together, we just, we had more confidence. Mm. What's your recollection of the Oscar night? Um, the Oscar night, you know, I have to say sitting there, I think about it now too, it was a you know, a while ago, and I was 29 years old, and that was just a lot for somebody who's 29 years old, you know? And um, I think it's sort of equal parts you're sitting there going, please don't call my name, please don't call my name, and then equal parts, please call my name, please call my name. And this, that ambivalence, like you're, you're just torn. And then the pressure of like, what do you say, that, you know? Mm. What do you say that encapsulates your life? Mm. That all the people you want to thank, you know? And there's no time, and and what really matters, you know, the mm. people you played and the, the, the opportunity to get to tell stories in this life. And what a, what a privilege that is to be a storyteller in mm. this world. Where did the uh, SAG Award and the Oscar live? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, um, they're right there in my front room next to some macaroni art. And um, <laughs> <laughs> the Oscar has a little Christmas hat it wears. <laughs> and it has a little tuxedo that it wears at the Oscar. <laughs> I love it. You know those like little things you can slip over a wine bottle? <laughs> like, we put that on. I got them in China too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, the next one I want to talk about. And I let people hold it too. Oh, good. Yeah. If you come to my house, I let people hold it. I said, but I have one rule. You have to give a speech. Okay. <laughs> I love it. And if you have to give a speech that encapsulates... Everything that that you mean and you what matters to you in this life, just think about it and go. I love it. <laughs> now you know what it's like to win an Oscar. That's great. Caroline. Name, name the time. I'm there. Okay. Um, the next one I want to ask you about is a movie that I think a lot of people didn't see because it kind of came and went and no one seemed to care. Rendition. Mm. Um, which I thought was really good. And the thing I like about it for you is that you got to work with Meryl Streep. I know. That was Which cool. must have been... Talk about frightening, I'm sure, right? Yeah. And yeah. she was she was tough in that. She movie was tough too. in that one. I think you know, you have these surreal moments over and over again, and you have to just kind of power through them because you're not allowed to go, Oh my god, you're Meryl Streep. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to have had like was doing this performance where I'm like dramatically screaming, I'm like, I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder if she thinks that was too big. She'll go back and do it again. <laughs> But she was so great and lovely and just really complimentary and nice. It was, yeah. But it was a a movie about, you know, the U.S. policy on torture. And Mm. I think probably the world wasn't ready to see that kind of thing. What I find really interesting is I was looking through the awards that you've won. And in 2008 and 2009, you were the People's Choice Award winner for Favorite Female Movie Star. And yet you've spoken a lot about how those years you felt not very um, satisfied professionally. You didn't feel like you were getting the stuff that you wanted, but yet you were the people's choice. That must have been a strange time where... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't characterize that whole time period as just void. Mm. I think, you know, I really enjoyed some movies I did. Four Christmases was so fun. Working mm. with Vince Vaughn, he's literally the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life. And, yeah. you know, sometimes... I've learned through, you know, meeting fans and um, mm. that sometimes the comedies have such a, prof- a more profound impact than the dramas. Mm. People watch them in hospitals. They watch them on holidays. They connect family. They, they lift you up when you feel like crap, you mm. know? Everybody has a favorite movie or two favorite movies. And I guarantee your favorite movie when you're feeling really crappy isn't a serious war drama. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something that makes you feel light. And, and I'm lucky to have those in my, in my life and, and to provide some respite for people from their lives, you know? But then, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I really enjoyed making, you know, some of those movies for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved, you know, Water for Elephants was a really fun experience for me, too. Um, I got to spend five months circus training with an elephant. Uh, crazy. <laughs> I was like, this, is, this has got to be a joke. Yeah. <laughs> that I get to go every day and hang out with an elephant. <laughs> and go to circus school. <laughs> and I'm paid. And, they're, and, then they're, and then they pay me. Right. That's crazy. That's crazy. That was a really exciting job. One that I think is very underrated is How Do You Know? The one with Jim Brooks that you did with Paul Rudd. Uh, and I know oh, yeah. the title... You guys didn't have a title until like 
two months before the thing yeah. came out. And that's, that that's always sucks. Sad. And it's not a good I mean, title. it's just suck, that title. I know. It's not, <laughs> not a great title. The movie's better than the title. Uh, yeah. But Jim Brooks, that's a unique experience to work with him, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, Jim Brooks, I met him right after the Oscar and he said, I'm writing a movie for you. And I was like, you are? <laughs> um, you know, and broadcast news is, I mean, Holly Hunter's performance in that movie is a movie that made me want to be an actor. Um, so I was so excited and probably a year and a half later, he said, I have a script. And it took us about two years to make that movie, mm. about a year of casting and about a year of shooting. Mm. And it was long. It was a long process. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Mud. Uh, and it's not a lead role for you, but I just think it's such a fascinating film and such an interesting choice for you yeah. to do that one. What was it about that that you said, I've got to be a part of it, even though it's you know, not the lead of the film. Yeah, well, I was getting a lot of feedback from people that, that directors didn't want to offer me things that I wasn't the lead. And I just, I was kind of like, well, I wonder where that is. And they said, well, you haven't really done anything with the lead <laughs> <laughs> of a lot of movies. Right. So, um, you know, this came along and I'd seen Jeff Nichols' other work, Shotgun Stories and Take Shelter. And I just think he's such a interesting, creative, soulful guy. And he is writing stories about where I grew up. Um, you know, down in the deep south and out in the sticks. Mm. People don't have a lot to do. Kids run around and play around in junkyards and creeks. And um, and it was a movie about that. So I was really excited to, to be part of it. And as I recall, so much of your stuff was in that very small, tight motel room. Yeah. Was it not? What was that like? Did it? Not luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> but fun. You know, it's good to get down to basics with people and kind of strip away all the artifice, all the hair and the makeup and all the cute outfits and everything. And it's like, just be an actor, get back into the work, you know? Where's this person from? What happened to her? Um, the crazy story about that was I got in a car accident two weeks before the movie started. Oh. So I have a black eye and the movie is actually a real black eye. <laughs> and Jeff called me right after the car accident. I was like hit while I was jogging and I was hit by a car. Oh. It was just terrible, it was terrible. Um, and he called me about a week later and he said, are you going to be able to do the movie? I totally understand. I was like, no, I think I have to do the movie. Mm. And so he wrote it into the character that she had been thrown down the stairs by her ex-husband, and that's why Mud went after him and killed him. Wow. Oh, my God. That's crazy. It actually added it did, to it. Also. Yeah. So we have to end with my favorite movie of the year, Wild, uh, which I hope you all have seen. And this is a film that you and your production company partner, Bruna Papandrea, uh, produced as well as you starring in it. And you had the good fortune, and I'd love to know how this all happened, of having Cheryl Strayed send you the book before it was ever released so that you could take a look at it. Thank goodness she did that. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> um, she, it was interesting because it was kind of a time where I was feeling, you know, we spoke about it like, just lost as an artist, as an actor. The, you know, I started noticing probably around the writer's strike in 2008, 2009, when all the DVDs went away and we went to, you know, direct to iTunes and all that stuff. Just there was about a third less parts, you know, now mm. there's, you know, where there were 10 parts for women during the year. Now there were like six. And I saw all these great actresses clamoring to be the girlfriend in a big dumb comedy. Mm. And I thought, this, this is not what, this is not what people want to see. People want to see 
I mean, I want to see interesting, dynamic, complex women. And I know my, I want my daughter to see that. You know, I grew up watching Norma Ray and, and, and Sigourney Weaver and Working Girl and, you know, Holly Hunter in Raising Arizona and everything else, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, I, I, I was like, I, I can't stomach this anymore. I've got, I was thinking about starting a production company. I was like, I gotta do this. Like, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Mm. I hate when people say stuff and then don't do anything about it. It drives me bananas. And, um, so I, at the same time, that same kind of couple months, Cheryl sent me the manuscript for her book. And my agent said, you know, I don't know if we're going to be interested in this. It sounds really, hard you know she walked a thousand miles and she's depressed because her mom died and, and I said that sounds actually really cool and I read it in 48 hours I called my agent at midnight that night and I said I've got to talk to this woman I don't know who she is but I need to talk to her and so I called her eight o'clock the next morning on a Monday morning cold out of nowhere <laughs> and I said I don't know who you are but I feel like I went on that journey with you and cool. I have to hug you and this is probably one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life um, and so I kind of told her why I wanted to make it into a movie and why I was going to make it different than other like female journey to discovery mm. movies that were all <laughs> like perfect clothes and, you know, sparkly sunsets mm. and, mm. um, and always getting the guy. And mm. I said, you know, I just think it's so important for not just for women, but for men too. So this is a great story of hope that, you know, she starts with nothing and she ends with nothing, mm. but it's a happy ending. Mm. And that was profound to me. And so was Cheryl like, well, I've already sent it to five other people too. I mean, or were you the, like the chosen one? I was like, she had only sent it to me. So she had a list. She was going to hit actresses and she picked me first because she thought we kind of, I said, why did you pick me? (laughs) And she said, well, I knew you were from somewhere and that was important to me because she grew up out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And she said, uh, and I think we kind of look alike because we kind of do look Mm. alike. And she said, I'm also, and you don't know it from the book, but I'm really, really funny. (laughs) (laughs) And she is, I come to find out, she's actually really funny. She has a great sense of humor. Let's talk about the pack because from what I understand, that was quite a heavy, like you were going for realism there with that backpack. Well, I was not. Oh. I was going for movie fake styrofoam peanuts. Yes, some dry cleaner, um, you know, stuff and newspaper stuffed in there. And then Cheryl was sitting on set. Cheryl's there every single day, and she leaned over Jean Marc, and she's like, "The pack doesn't look heavy enough." Mm. And so he came over to me. He's like, uh, "What's in this pack?" He's French Canadian, and I said newspaper or something. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, okay, we need the other backpack. We need the one that's heavy with all the equipment in it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I have to walk, I have to walk oh. all day with this on my back. And you're not, he doesn't cut. He just mm. shoots digital. So mm. there's no putting it down. There's no breaks. There's no sitting down. There's no like, there's no going to the bathroom. Like it was mm. bananas. And there's no other actors to cut to. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, when the other actor that you can just kind of relax a little bit and take off the pack and stretch a little bit. No, there was nothing. There was literally the front of me and the back of me. Mm. So, and nobody, he and he just walked away and he was like, okay, action. <laughs> and that was it for the rest of the movie. He was, he really challenged me. Um, and I'm so appreciative of everything he pushed me to do. He was like, I want you to wear no makeup. And I was like, well, but just like a little eyeliner. <laughs> he was like, no makeup. None. I love your face. I just want to see this woman stripped of everything. I want to. I want to feel like she's lost everything. And I was like, 
okay, but that's going to be awful. It's going to look awful. <laughs> and he made me be brave and he made me do it. And I'm so appreciative to him mm. pushing me outside my comfort zone. And, and cause I feel like you would have seen it and it would have been fake. And it, and I, and after a while it started to feel like, you know, I was in a documentary about Cheryl Strait's mm. life mm. because I couldn't stop. There's so many magical moments in the wild. And the one that I'm never going to forget is that little boy who sings you the song at the end. And I'm, I'm sure it just wrecked me in yeah. the, the best possible way. And I'm sure it's very hard when you're dealing with an actor that young that you're never going to get it. It's not like as seamless on the day as it is edited together. But did, what was that like for you on that actual day of shooting? I mean, was it, did he, did he deliver each time or was it hard? That kid to- was so intense and he knew his part. His name is Evan O'Toole. He's incredible. He had these beautiful little blue eyes and he had this curly hair and it was raining. And, mm. you know, he just kept saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> and then so we'd give him a granola bar and he'd be like, okay. And then not, and then we'd say, okay, can you sing the song? And he'd be, I, he just sang so beautifully from his heart, you know, remember the Red River Valley. <laughs> and he, and when he started to sing, everybody in the crew started crying because of his, he took it so seriously. And Jean-Marc had him, like, on the day, he changed the song. He said, I want you to learn a new song. Mm. Why? And he wanted to try um, a Nirvana song, to have him sing a Nirvana song, which, by the way, I hope one day people get to see it because that wrecked me, too. <laughs> it was so beautiful. He sings All Apologies. Oh, he wow. sings it so beautifully. He's like, All Apologies. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was crazy. But... You know, having Cheryl sort of reflect on her journey and doing that the thing that the editing that Jean-Marc did where he jumps back and forth to her mm. looking at these beautiful vistas and remembering her mother and mm. everything her mother will never see again. Um, and Jean-Marc used to say, I want you to look at this and remember that your mother will never see this again. <sighs> mm. um, and seeing it through this beautiful little boy's eyes and seeing how hurt he is and mm. that he has problems too and that we're all broken, you know? Mm. I've had more people come up to me and say, I feel less broken. I saw the movie and, you know, men, women, older people, younger kids, like I just feel less alone. And that's all we set out to do, you know? I love it. Um, and that's the most profound thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Cheryl always says the, the most profound thing you can do as an artist is build that sacred bridge to the audience. Because nothing can ever take that away. Mm. Once you've done it, it's there forever. And You're still so amazing. moved I'm like by so this. moved I love by it. it. <laughs> <laughs> If there was the happiest surprise for me as someone who's obsessed with the Oscars, it was the fact that not only, of course, did you get nominated, because duh, but that Laura Dern did too, because she hadn't gotten any nominations. So I was really happy for that. But one thing that you and I were talking about is before we came on, which I think is kind of weird and troubling, is if you look at, and this happens every year, I feel like, you look at the movies that are up for all the big ones, like Best Director and Best Picture, they completely line up with the best actor category. Mm-hmm. So Eddie Redmayne, Theory Everything, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Imitation Game, Michael Keaton, Birdman, Steve Carell, Foxcatcher, Bradley Cooper, American Sniper. All of the movies that dominate the overall awards race are male leads. And that you guys have this movie, which is the best movie of the year. You have two acting nominations, and yet it didn't get in the major categories. What's going on there? Is I, you know, I don't know. And I keep getting asked this a lot because, you know, we're like 
93 on Rotten Tomatoes. Our movies made more money than Birdman, Theory of Everything, um, Boyhood, mm. Nightcrawler. I mean, it's been, it's, it's set to be the number two or three specialty film of the year, which is so exciting. And it's clear the audience is really, they, they want this movie. And that's the big message. It's, it's not about awards. It's really about let's make more of these movies that are hopeful and give people, you know, a sense of why we're here on earth. Like, mm. are, are we here to, shoot people and blow people up. <laughs> I think people want to see people's real life struggles. And, um, you know, and I think it is a, it's a hurdle we have to get over. Like there's not more female lead movies that are considered part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we got close. We you got did. really close. Right. When we're going to keep trying, you know, that's the, that's the bottom line. We have to just keep trying. We all do, you know? And I, I want everybody to keep writing these stories and keep telling your stories because just like Cheryl said in the movie, everybody's life is precious, sacred, and irrevocable, and everyone's story deserves to be told. And and hopefully this will inspire so many more people to tell their stories. I like that. Okay, with the four minutes that we have left, we're going to do a speed round of, of the five great audience questions that we got from you guys. Okay. Cool. And you guys have the worst handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> it's I can't, I can hardly read this. Well, actually, this guy's okay, Steve. You're okay. You're okay. Uh, Steve wants to know, how do you choose your projects? How hard do you have to work to find a script that you want to do? It's really hard. It's really hard. And then once you find the script, um, again, you know, there's not that many great roles for actresses. So particularly, as I'm kind of bridging the gap, too, between... Um, you know, younger, 30s, and then moving on to the moms. Because there's kind of a bridge there. There's like a weird fallow period where there's people don't know what to do with women that age, you know? <laughs> if you're not a mom, what are you? Uh, <laughs> if you're not a mom, but you're not 29, it's really confusing. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out kind of that that in-between thing. And, and I'm working on developing a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, a lot of bestsellers and books are actually women's stories. So that's been a really great fertile place to find, um, you know, inspiration and, yeah. and get manuscripts. And I've been, I have probably, we probably have 16 projects now. They're all female leads. And we should mention that you produce Gone Girl. Yes. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my, my friend Gillian wrote that book and yes. I'm just like so in awe of everything that she was able to do with your help She's on that one. She's amazing, yeah. Okay, this is from, I'm hoping I'm going to say it right, Carolina? Yes. Hi, Carolina. We, this is a great question. First of all, wait, I don't understand it. Say this question's for Reese Littlespoon. <laughs> I know what that means. <laughs> you do? Okay. Yeah. Because somebody asked me what my rap name is and I oh, said Littlespoon. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Going off what I just said about Gone Girl, when did you first decide to venture into producing? Uh, do you find that that allows you more creative freedom? I think it probably does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, 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 you know, I get to be an authority on what I know, which is women, because I am a woman. And I will go into studios. And, you know, I went through a lot of meetings in my late 20s and early 30s talking about, like, sitting with studio heads and, and studio executives going, well, that makes her unlikable. Like, if she mm. sleeps with somebody that's not her husband, that's really unlikable. <laughs> and, you know, if she if she uses drugs, I mean, that's really, like, there's no coming back. No one will ever like her at the end of the movie. Mm. So I decided, like, 
you know, to come at it a different approach, you know, and be really part of the development process has been helpful because I can go into a room and say, no, 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 actually women do cheat on their husbands too. <laughs> and they're actually, they actually are redeemable people. They do make, you know, amends for it and they say sorry and maybe they're, you know, they're not perfect, but there's some people who are just not perfect in this world, you yeah. know, and there's a lot of them and I, you know, I'm one of them. So I think people actually want to see themselves. And I think, you know, storytelling has changed too, that people used to want to see more artifice, I feel like, and people are wanting, they want real. Mm. You know, we have so much in our lives, but it's so nice to see the truth. Mm. And that's why I was so, I responded to Cheryl Strange. She just told the truth, mm. not because it certainly didn't make her look good. Mm. It just, but it made her feel free. Mm. Here's a great follow-up. And Becky Dennis, you have impeccable handwriting. <laughs> it's, job, gorgeous. it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. A plus. She, she, Becky says, do you find it a challenge balancing producing and acting? Do you have advice for aspiring actor producers on how to juggle the two goals in harmony and which to focus more on if the first love is acting? That's a really good question. Because, yeah, it would be impossible if I didn't have my producing partner. So we do a lot, of, we do all the development together. Um, but whatever, you know, when I get on set, I have to be an actress. That's it. And I can't, you know, occasionally Bruno would bring me in and say, look, we need to mm. get, we need to work on something three days from now and we have to get this crane and I need you to call the studio. But for the most part, she did all that heavy lifting. So it's really important that somebody you trust, you have the same kind of taste, you know, mm. their taste level has to be at the same places you and you have to kind of like similar things. Um, but definitely I have to take off the producer hat when I'm actually on set. So that's a good question. And then Kat wants to know, who have you not worked with yet that you'd like to? Ooh. <laughs> um, Julia Moore. I would love to do something with Julia Moore. Um, Ooh, what could you do with her? So much. <laughs> I, I mean, what can she not do? She's amazing. Uh, Jessica Chastain, I think, is incredibly talented. Viola Davis, mm. dying to work with her. Carrie Washington and I have been try trying to find something okay. for years and years. But again, it's hard. A lot of women aren't usually in movies together, but I'm gonna change that. <laughs> I can't think of a better note to end on than that. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, thank you so much for your time and thank, thank you. you for the great questions. Thank you for listening to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG After Found. We'd love to hear from you.